Welcome to Basic Brewing Radio for Thursday, August 4th. I'm James Spencer. Here at Basic Brewing Radio, we're all about home brewing, making beer at home. But today, we deviate a little bit from our mission, but not much. This Saturday, August 6th, is Mead Day, a national event sponsored by the American Homebrewers Association. In a little bit, my friend Steve Wilkes joins me on the porch to sample some homemade mead and to talk about how best to enjoy it. But first, to give us a bit more information on Mead Day and mead in general, we're pleased to have a very special guest, Paul Gatza, director of the Brewers Association and the American Homebrewers Association, who joins us by phone. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, thanks for having me. Let's start with a basic question. What is mead? Mead is uh, fermented honey, so it's an alcoholic beverage um, based on honey, whereas you'd find beer being based on grains, uh, wine being based on fruit, uh, particularly uh, grapes. Uh, sake would be rice. Well, mead is fermented honey. And mead's been with us a while, hasn't it? Mead is probably the oldest uh, fermented beverage because uh, there is a belief among some that it exists in nature, that if you have a, uh, a tree that uh, would be struck by lightning, say, and the top of it gets knocked off and bees uh, form a hive in there and the uh, airborne yeast reacts with the rainwater and the honey from the bees, you would get this soupy, syrupy mixture 10,000 years ago when food was really an issue. Uh, you're stumbling through the hunting and gathering, and you find this mead tree, and you scoop it up, and you get yourself fat and happy, which were very good things to have back then. <laughs> this is kind of a gift from the gods, then. To some degree. Um, there is some belief that, uh, that the mead tree wouldn't exist in nature, but uh, um, for the sake of romance, and I can picture it happening, and you know, I watch Winnie the Pooh with my daughter, and there certainly is a lot of honey growing in trees in, uh, uh, in that show, so there we go. So, so are you insinuating that uh, Winnie had uh, uh, alternate uh, uh, purposes for gathering the honey in the tree? Oh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe he's not uh, a bear of as little a brain as uh, we think he is. That's right. Uh, now, you, you mentioned the word romance. There is, uh, as I understand it, a historical connection between Mead and the honeymoon. Uh, that's right. The, um, there is a uh, tradition that... Uh, newly married couples thousands of years ago would be sent off with a month's worth of mead, basically to go from moon to moon um, in hopes of uh, fathering a male heir. And uh, modern science has actually found that um, there may be something to that in that uh, mead would lower the pH, which would have a uh, has shown to have a greater chance of the male sperm being, uh, or the you know sperm with the male chromosome being uh, a little um, more functional in the acidic environments that mead would create. So there may be something to uh, mead being used to create a male heir, but it goes back thousands of years, and honeymoon, you know, word honey from mead and moon being a month uh, is where that comes from. So people have been referring to mead all this time without really even knowing it. That's correct. Now, you you want to kind of change uh, the uh, people's perceptions of meat, or at least uh, raise the the awareness with uh, Mead Day. Tell us about Mead Day and how can we observe Mead Day. Uh, Mead Day is uh, something we created just to 
uh, have a midsummer event and also to uh, tip our hat toward mead. While the American Homebrewers Association is primarily oriented around beer making, uh, mead goes back to the first issues of Zymergy magazine when we formed as a company uh, back in 1978. And uh, so this is just a way to uh, you know, acknowledge it. Now, Mead Day, uh, some people make mead on Mead Day, some people drink mead on Mead Day, some people just think about mead on Mead Day, but uh, I like to do all of those. And on the website, on uh, beertown.org, there is an official uh, Mead Day recipe from yeah. uh, Steve Schmidt of Anchorage, Alaska, who uh, apparently won Best of Show, or he's the Best of Show Mead Maker at the 2005 Mead Linium 8 competition. And his recipe is, is called Morning Wood Oak Age Mead. And uh, he uses uh, orange blossom honey and he uses uh, oak chips uh, to flavor. Uh, now, do you have to use orange blossom honey in making mead or can you, ma- can you just use uh, any uh, honey? You can use uh, most any honey. What you don't want to get are the uh, uh, pasteurized honeys because uh, there's a whole lot less flavor uh, with those and they don't necessarily for men as well as uh, the raw honeys. Um, but in general, orange blossom would be used by a lot of mead makers because it tends to be a lighter, delicate honey with a nice uh, floral uh, nose to the mead that's, uh, meads that are made with the orange blossom honey. But, you know, other good ones would be tupelo honey, clover honey. You know, there's all sorts of varieties. You can blend honeys to get different flavors. So there's really a whole area of experimentation with regarding honey. And you can also, uh, like I said, in this recipe, he uses oak chips to flavor the the meat, and I guess make it taste like it's been uh, uh, aged in a in an oak barrel. Uh, and I've done that myself, uh, but I've also made mead just with no flavoring. Uh, but I also understand that you can make uh, terrific meads with um, fruits as well. Yep, um, mead with fruit is uh, generally called melomel. And uh, my personal favorites would be boysenberry and uh, red raspberries. Um, these uh, two go really well. They have a, a little bit of a tannic quality, which goes well with the sweetness of the honey. And uh, that usually turns the mead that you're making into a beautiful uh, ruby-colored uh, beverage that's uh, you know beautiful to look at and excellent to drink. Now, hopefully our audience is home brewers, so they're going to be curious if they haven't made mead before. But what's the, what's the basic procedure in making mead? Is there a boil like in, uh, like in making beer? Um, each mead maker does it a, a different way. Some mead makers will boil the honey like making beer. Uh, some mead makers will just heat the honey to between uh, 150 and 170 degrees for about 20 minutes to pasteurize the honey. Um, with the theory that if you boil it, you might uh, scrub off some of the aromas in the boiling process. Uh, and then other mead makers will come from the more the winemaking uh, point of view where they will add sulfites and not use any heat at all. I personally uh, will either boil my honey or pasteurize my honey. Yeah, in, in, in my experience, and maybe I've just been lucky, but uh, I, I haven't boiled in the past. I've just added... Uh, pure spring water to uh, 10 or 12 pounds of honey and then uh, uh, added some you you have to do you have to add uh, yeast uh, nutrients as well to to kind of uh, help the help the yeast get a kick right Um, whereas in beer making the barley has the nutrients to get it going Um, uh, honey does not have those nutrients so it uh the risks of not using a nutrient are would be a stuck fermentation or uh the 
uh, very high finishing gravity. And so I usually like to add a little bit of uh, dry malt extract to provide those nutrients. Some people will use uh, a, you know, a yeast nutrient product labeled as such, like a diammonium phosphate. Uh, but I personally just like to use a little bit of powdered malt extract to uh, help kick it off. And what kind of uh, yeasts, what strains of yeast can you use for a mead making? Um, a lot of wine yeasts will uh, um, do well. I've tasted uh, meads made with uh, beer yeast as well. But I think the wine yeast will tend to uh, handle the uh, higher alcohol content that most meads are made uh, towards. Um, the, when I make a really strong mead, I tend to use uh, a mixture of a wine yeast, like a red wine yeast, and a sherry yeast. I kind of like a little bit of that musty, sort of uh, sherry, oxidized kind of flavor to uh, add some complexity to it. And what's the fermentation time? Um, meads will generally go through a primary fermentation in about two weeks to about two months. Uh, then secondary fermentation uh, can be be rather quick. Um, you can usually just let it clear in a secondary fermenter, or sometimes it can take months and months. So uh, with mead, the, uh, I think the overriding principle is make a lot of it at different times, and then that way you always have some in the pipeline, and you never have to rush your mead out. Yeah, you, def- you definitely want to have patience in making mead. Yeah. Yep. A, a, um, a lot of meads are uh, really good right uh, pretty soon, you know, after two, three months. But generally, if they're really good after two or three months, after about a year, they might be really great. Now, the uh, there is uh, you can all you can uh, add clarifying agents at, t- at the time of bottling, or you can prime it like a beer. And uh, if you if you clarify it, you'll have a still mead with no carbonation. And if you prime it, you'll have a sparkling mead, right? Um, yeah, if you prime it, you should, uh, you should be able to trap that in the bottle and it would be sparkling. I've made mead that's, uh, like a dry champagne before where I primed it, uh, uh, for the bottles. Um, in general, I tend to make, uh, more of the still meads. I let them settle out on their own and, uh, um, you know, my usages for them tend to be toward the medium sweet to sweeter variety and I usually leave them still. But it's, you know, a place for experimentation. And whatever you like, you can make it. In, in my experience in, in making meads, uh, I have uh, always uh, primed it. And uh, over time, you, you get uh, something that looks and tastes a lot like champagne. Yeah. Uh, and if you serve it in a champagne flute, uh, you get the nice bubbles on the side and you get the nice little head on the top. And especially if you can, if you can wait uh, a year or two or even longer, uh, it gets drier and crisper and, and more mature. And, and it's definitely worth the wait, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, uh, I would agree. I like to uh, age my meads for a couple of years. And what are the things that you have to look for in making mead? What are the things that, uh, uh, you know, the stumbling blocks, or if you've never made a mead before, what, what advice can you give people? Uh, be careful who you uh, give samples to, because they may end up really liking it and then coming <laughs> over to your house a whole lot and emptying your mead supply. So that would be one thing to watch out for. Uh, another would be uh, in the brewing process, the stuck fermentation is always something to be considered about. So you definitely want to use your hydrometer and uh, keep an eye on the gravity and, uh, you know, do some reading where you, you know, based on your recipe of where that gravity should end up. Um, you know, you can always 
try to get it going again if it does get stuck. But that's that's probably the biggest issue people have. And with regards to uh, fruit, uh, one tip I would have is that um, uh, freezing fruit will often uh, break the cell walls, which will then get more fruit flavor. So more bang for your buck because fruit can be expensive. Good advice. Now, one one last point: meat is generally fair in fairly high in alcohol. And it goes down pretty easy, so it can catch up to you pretty quickly, right? It can. Um, you know, there is a, a range of meats being made uh, commercially now that are around 7% alcohol, um, but then you'll find meats that go up to around you know, 18% alcohol. So there is a range there, and I do recommend knowing what you're drinking. And uh, with meat, you know, be in an environment that uh, will not require driving afterwards. All right. Well, have a thanks for joining us, Paul and uh, Paul Gatza, director of the American Homebrewers Association. I hope you have a, a happy Mead Day. All right. Thanks, James. You too. And if you want more information about uh, the American Homebrewers Association's observation of uh, Mead Day, you can go to our website, basicbrewingradio.com. That's basicbrewingradio.com. And on that page, uh, in the summary of this episode, you'll see links to both the uh, American Homebrewers Association page on Mead Day and to the official uh, Mead Day recipe. And if you hear traffic in the background and some birds chirping, it's because uh, we're out on the porch. I'm out on the porch with uh, my friend Steve Wilkes. Thanks for joining me here today, Steve. Thanks, James. And uh, Steve joined me on our on our homebrewing DVD. So, uh, the, but this is your first introduction to the podcast. It is, and I'm, I apologize for waiting so long to have you on. Well, that's not a problem at all. I've enjoyed the first few editions or episodes. And and boy, can you can you picture a, a better late July oh, day no, in Northwest is, Arkansas? This is wonderful. I mean, this is great. Two days ago it was, or yesterday it was about a hundred degrees, and today it's. I don't know, 65 yeah. out here, 70 yeah. degrees. We've had some rain this morning. so. And we've got a couple of great meads to sample today. That's right. Uh, well, we hope they're great. I, <laughs> I made them, so if they're, if they're bad, it's my fault. Oh, but I'm sure they're going to be wonderful. We've got one mead that uh, I made this past year, and another mead that I made in, I, I think I looked it up, I bottled it in May of 1999. I called it my Y2K mead. So we're going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> I, you know, I couldn't resist that joke. <laughs> stale though it is. <laughs> well, we'll see if the mead is stale. Uh, let's. What I wanted to do is is taste these meads and talk a little bit about how they were made, and then uh, you've got some background in the in the culinary arts, and I want to uh, call upon your knowledge of uh, food uh, to talk about how we may enjoy these, other than just uh, drinking them by themselves on the porch, which. You know, is a pretty good way to Not enjoy Not a bad it. way to enjoy them. Yeah, if you're, you know. Themselves. Shall it, I do the honors? Uh, please. All right. And we're going to start with uh, the 04. This is made in 2004. That's right. And this is a mead. Ah, it's got some carbonation. That's good. And we're using uh, champagne flutes, crystal champagne flutes. Mm -hmm. And you can drink them out of anything, you know, really. But the champagne flute, since this, uh, it was primed just like a beer with three-quarter cups of... Uh, corn sugar into five gallons of mead before bottling, uh, but the champagne flute really accentuates the bubbles because the bubbles stick to the vertical surface of the champagne flute, and they are. That's a lot of activity in there, huh, Steve? A bunch. Boy, it really does. It looks like it's a, it's a white champagne. If you look at it, someone would think you're drinking champagne. To you. Cheers. 
Very good. Mm. It's very dry. It's very dry. And there's a bit of fruitiness, not as much as in a champagne, probably. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I think it's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, it's got a little sweetness right at the end. You know, when it hits your mouth, it, it, it almost explodes. And um, Is that the carbonation? Thing? Yeah, that's the carbonation. And then there's some there's a little bit of residual sweetness, but not not sweet like a um, you know a spumante kind of thing, nothing like that. This is this is much superior. It's it's not a grape sweetness. No, not at all. And all this is is uh, I'll give you my recipe for this mead. Okay. I got 12 pounds of honey from the local Viney Grove, Arkansas farmer that we know who has uh, who has bees. <laughs> And just said, you know, give me some honey. So I got 12 pounds of that, and it's a pretty clear honey this year. Yeah. And so it's not a varietal. He doesn't have a specific crop that's near his house that, you know, you can say this is a peach. It's just kind of wi wildflowers and clover and whatever. Whatever's around his farm. Yeah. Uh, but it was a darn good batch of honey this year. So we have 12 pounds of honey, five gallons of Mountain Valley spring water from Hot Springs, Arkansas, mm -hmm. and uh, some yeast nutrient and... Uh, it's an acid blend, uh, which kind of will counteract a bit of the sweetness a little bit. Yeah. And just a, a wine yeast, and that's it. Well, that's enough. That's really good. Now, should we should we taste the second let's one do. before we talk about what yeah. goes with? Let's do. Let's let's do a little contrast well, and compare. While you're doing that, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this some more. Hmm. That's a good sound after six years. Yeah. I did say six years, right? You did. Now, this it was made from a kit, uh, and the honey was a bit darker, so this is more of a... It's almost the color of a pilsner. It is. It, it, or I was going to say it looks like a, a, a Rhine wine, like a, a Riesling hmm. from Germany. Um, it's beautiful. It also has quite a bit of carbonation. Mm -hmm. Now this, I did use the oak chip flavoring in that I boiled a cup or two of water with oak chips in it, and I poured that into the, the mead as it went into the primary fermentation, mm -hmm. so it would be interesting to see if we taste that. You do. I, I taste more honey with this. Hmm. That's quite a different... It's, it's very different. It's not as crisp as the first one to me. No. Um, it's richer. Yeah, that's it interesting. A, it has a heavier, richer flavor to me. It is. It's much sweeter than I expected. Mm -hmm. It's quite, but it's still not sweet. I, you know, when when you buy a commercial mead, and I don't want to talk about everybody's commercial mead, but the the commercial still meads that you tend to run across tend to be really sweet, hmm. like drinking a. I don't like a glass of port. You know, I mean, they're, they're really, really sweet. Mm. Uh, even though we're saying that that the Y2K mead is sweeter, that that's really uh, a small scale that we're on because so it's still quite dry. It's a relative term. Oh yeah, it's very relative. <clears throat> I'll agree. This, yeah, this it, it is quite dry, but in contrast to the first one, it's uh, it's quite a bit uh, a, a bit uh, sweeter. Yeah, and, and a, a bit heavier. Yes, it's heavier. It. In, in some ways, you'd almost say that the, the first one would be like a really light American standard if it were a beer, and this would be like a really, really rich in uh, Hellas or something. I mean, mm. the bunch of malt in it. So 
It's it's interesting because in the first one that we tasted, I put twelve pounds of honey. In the second one, there's I believe ten. Oh, darn. So less honey going into it, mm-hmm. but yet just because of the and and it wasn't a varietal either. It was just honey, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a, a bulk honey that I guess came in the kit. Man, boy, they're both really good. So what would go with this, Steve? If we were planning a special dinner with uh, uh, yeah. the mead, what would yeah. we eat? If I were to if if I were to serve these two meads, and you know they're different enough, you could serve them um, at two different times in a meal. I'd I'd start in just the order that we did. I'd start with this lighter one, and I'd serve it very much like I would an extra dry or a brute champagne. So if you if you think about what would go with an extra dry or brute champagne, this would go very nicely. So, caviar, mm. salmon. Salmon just seems wonderful with either one of these, mm-hmm. uh, a smoked salmon or something like that. Um, it, it cheeses, fruits. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't, myself, I probably wouldn't put uh, a lot of citrus fruits with either one of these. Mm. That'd be overpowering. Somehow, yeah. Somehow they, it doesn't work inside my, my mouth. But, uh, boy, I can really taste. I, I can with this first one. I, I just think it would go so well with any kind of seafood that you would want to put together, mm. or with um, you know a white cheese like you know breeze and camemberts and those kinds of things. This to me, I probably wouldn't serve it with um, like blue cheeses, like really heavily veined cheeses, or with really rich. Ri- Yellow cheeses, but the lighter, the lighter, whiter cheeses, and even if they're kind of stinky white cheeses, I think <laughs> they go really well with it. the The second one, the Y two K, would work equally well, but it's heavier and it's it's richer, and so it'll take heavier and richer foods. Mm. I think it might be easier to say what wouldn't go with it, and I think what wouldn't go with it, either one of these. Uh, would be a big piece of red meat, mm. steak, barbecue. That was going like to be my, my question. Neither one of these work that well with meat. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I think you know if you re- if you like it, you should eat it and you should mm-hmm. drink it. I mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I think people not- that tell you that oh you must serve white wine with fish, you know they need to go somewhere. <laughs> but you know if if you like it, you should have it. I'm, I'm just telling you what I would pair with it. Mm-hmm. If I was going to you know, smoke a rack of ribs or a brisket, I wouldn't serve mead with it. You'd have a good beer. I'd have a good beer. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to have... These would both go very well with pork or with, po- or with poultry. So lighter, lighter proteins, lighter meats. Uh, these would go great with... Either one of these would go with a light pasta very nicely. And you can really smell the, the oak, I think, when you... Yeah. In the nose of it. You can yeah. really... It's even almost a little overpowering. And in fact, I think I think, I think, I think well, in my in my opinion, I, and I think in in the future, mm. I don't I don't know that I would use the the oak chips. Having tasted the the mead without the oak chips, and then having tasted the the you know the mead with, mm-hmm. I think that I prefer just the the clean, unadulterated honey taste. I do too. Except, check this out. Lay with it the Y2K, <laughs> with the Y2K, lay, lay it on me, man. Lay it on me, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, this has such a such a wonderful honey, and, and that oak kind of gives it not a smokiness, but 
you get about an inch and a half thick pork chop, a really, really mm. nice pork chop, and and you crust that thing up with some crushed uh, like macadamia nuts hmm. or almonds. Or, you could use walnuts, but they kind of burn pretty easy. But 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 make like a like a like a coarse flour out of it. You know, not not very fine. Just just crush them. You know, mm-hmm. crush them with a rolling pin or something, mm-hmm. and then spice that up with a little salt, a little pepper, um, whatever else you might like. Maybe some thyme, maybe mm-hmm. some dried thyme, and and you know, coat it like you like you were gonna you know make fried chicken. You know, deep fry it, mm-hmm. but you're not gonna deep fry it. And then just saute that really lightly in a little butter, just for a couple of minutes to crust it up on each side, and then put it in the oven, finish it off for about 15 minutes. Serve that with the Y2K. On the side, have a little mushrooms, some mushrooms and spinach with a little cream. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, saute the spinach. I mean, saute the mushrooms. Get a little color on them. You know, a little salt, a little pepper, maybe a little garlic, maybe not. Depends on if you like it. Um, and then add in a generous helping of fresh baby spinach. Let mm-hmm. that wilt just for a minute. Three or four tablespoons of cream. Let that heat through. Serve that on the side. Mm killer. I mean, this, that would be excellent with this. That would just be dynamite. With the first one, I keep going back to the salmon. Mm-hmm. I, you know, either grill or poach. I actually think poaching because this is such a light flavor. Mm-hmm. You could take you could take a nice, uh, just a, a nice little salmon fillet, four or five ounces, um, steam it or poach it, but a really light cooking method. You know, make a little uh, court bouillon in the bottom, some onion and some uh, lemon and whatever you want to fl- kind of flavor it with. Let that steam kind of come up and caress that salmon fillet mm. for a, a minute or two. About eight minutes. It's, it's about how long it takes. Seven or eight minutes. Then let that cool. Then then serve that with a, like a, a little yogurt and dill mm. sauce on, on top of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a side, you know, I'd probably go this time of year... I'd probably get some really, really good homegrown tomatoes or from the farmer's market, mm-hmm. slice those up, just drizzle a little olive oil on them, cut a little fresh basil out of the garden, break up some mozzarella on the top of that, maybe a little lemon juice, maybe the tomatoes don't need it if they're acidic, a little salt, that's it, that's dinner. Serve that with this uh, 04 mead and you're in heaven. Wow. So... The thing about, uh, the thing, you know, these are not hard and fast rules like you said. No. And the thing that I've uh, encountered is that, and you've made meads in the past as well. Yes. Every batch can be different mm-hmm. depending on what honey you use. may depend on what temperature you ferment at, what time of year it is. Oh, yeah. You know, there's so many variables. But isn't that the beauty of it? It isn't is. Isn't that the beauty of homebrew and of, and of home mead making? Because unlike opening up a Budweiser, or opening mm-hmm. up even a, a you know whatever it might be, you know you know what it's going to taste like. Now that has its own appeal. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But there's there's just such a, a magic in opening up, you know this mead or this beer or whatever it is that you made yourself, and that you taste it and you go, oh man, this would be so great with some mm-hmm. salmon or with or with some pork or whatever. And and then you have a dinner party and you have your friends over and you and it's it's all about you know 
enjoying life and enjoying your friends and your family and the great weather and, and just this universe that we live in. That's what it's all about. And honey and water and yeast together for a few months. Can you, it, you know, does it get any better than that? It's magic. It's magic. Well, there you go. I don't know what else we can say. There's not a whole lot more to say about it. You know, you could you could kind of pontificate <laughs> on for a long time. And the more mead you drink, the, the easier, longer the longer it that goes. you pontificate. <laughs> That's right. Which maybe we should cut off right now. I think it's I, time you know, to stop. I, I think we should uh, we should drink some more mead. Yeah. Off the air, not really on the air, but off the recording, and uh, and and we'll uh, we'll go from there. But thank you, Steve, for Steve Wilkes. Thank you, James. My partner, my friend, I, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate being here. From all of us here at Basic Brewing Radio, we hope you have a happy mead day. And don't forget, if you want to drop us a line, we'd be happy to hear from you. If you have brewing questions, show suggestions, or just want to say hey, write to james at basicbrewing.com or just fill out the contact form on basicbrewing.com. On the next episode, Paul Gatza joins us again to talk about home brewing in the United States and about the American Homebrewers Association. We hope you can be with us. That's all until next week. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm James Spencer. Production help for Basic Brewing Radio and our website is provided by Kelly Dodson. We'll talk to you next time. So long. <laughs>